Griffith Conference Room. Do we call it room or sound? Room or what? What is this? Griffith Griffith Conference Room. Room or look on the back of that wall. What does it say? Oh, I love this music. Conference Room. All right, ladies and gentlemen, live from Griffith Conference Room, Northern Seminary, formerly known as Northern Baptist Theological Seminary, Chicago, Illinois. I present to you live Theology on Mission podcast with Jeff Holesclaw and Dave Fitch. Yeah, yeah, here we are. Here we are. Are you asleep? Maybe. After all that food you ate at the Christmas party? Maybe. Can we even say what the book was that McKnight was holding up? Can we even say the the name of it live on on live radio? I prefer we didn't, but it was an unnameable book. It was was a... uh, Unnameable white... And crude... White elephant joke. White elephant book, yeah. So here we are. What's the subject for today? From Northern Seminary, in partnership with Missio Alliance... This is Theology on Mission, the podcast exploring God and integrating faith and life. Here are your hosts, Jeff Holsclaw and David Fitch. As you know, listeners out there, we've had a rough couple of weeks in the city of Chicago. Not just Chicago. All over Not the world, today. but it's very present here in Chicago. Like the way that Dustin, our preacher, good friend, Dustin Osborne, was preaching on Sunday at Life of the Vine, he said, October was great, November was horrible. Right? I thought you were going to say hell. Horrible. We had the Paris attacks a couple weeks ago, which yeah. then rolled into governors oh. refusing Syrian refugees in the midst of this. Crisis, there was Mali, there were other places, yes. Lebanon. Lebanon. Then there was the backlash against the Syrian refugees, which affects Life in the Vine because we had just sponsored two refugee families. Uh, then, then last week there was the release of the Laquan McDonald police video of his shooting, which was 16. horrible. Yeah. 16 shots um, of a young seconds. man in Chicago. We're which all stunned by it. Which uh, prompted protests that uh, last Wednesday, which um, you know, well, bled so over into Black Friday, which involves some northern students. Yeah. And now this week there's been a mass shooting in San Bernardino. So usually my up self is kind of down. I'm just going to be honest. Yeah, and uh, uh, of course, uh, what I wanted to just talk a little bit about, we don't have uh, Ben or... Uh, Josiah or any other people that were involved in that march from here uh, to talk to us today. Uh, things are slowing down. The Christmas holidays is kicking in. People are out of town. But um, I, uh, on my, uh, one of my friends on Facebook said it like this, and I think this is what I'd like to talk about. Um, she said, I'm done. I'm sick of corruption, the lying, the cover-ups, the gouging of Chicagoans to fund corrupt political machine. I'm horrified to live in a city where these things can happen. And more than anything, I mourn for the life of Laquan McDonald and others who are affected the most by this corruption. I'm at a loss for what to do. Move away? Protest? Try to vote out the corrupt politicians? I don't have much hope that any of these things. 
will have any effect. And I think, um, you know, that that's a not uncommon response uh, to where many of us go when when we're just overwhelmed with what's going on. I mean, despair, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, um, I wanted to talk about this issue of what do Christians do, or how do Christians respond? Um, you know, there's a, there's a little bit of a disconnect here for me. I think what most of us know or think about Christianity growing up is Christianity is about my personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, it's about uh, who I am personally, individually in Christ. And then normally in the latter years here, the last 25 years, it normally says, well, because of who I am in Christ, I must care about justice in the world. And my heart changed the world for justice. But just what do I do? How do I go into the world and, and change things? And I think that's the point of frustration. I want to ask a question. Is that really how we should think about justice? We're individuals who have been changed by Jesus, and therefore we want to go out and do things for Jesus, for God's justice in the world. You got any comments on that? Well, certainly we should not want to apply our faith to every area of our life, yes. right? So we want the justice we have received, the hope we received, the peace that we experience with Christ to make a difference in our relationships. Uh, but I think maybe what you're getting at is an over-individualized understanding of salvation becomes also an individualized understanding of justice. working for justice in so the world. So that it world. becomes all on me and something I do, and then we, we get frustrated because nothing ever seems to change, and... Uh, you know, we go into despair. And I think there's a lot of that going on today in the last several weeks and our, here in Chicago. And often our view of politics is so narrow that it has to do with political individuals that we vote in or out of office. But I think as this person that you read despairs of is that, you know, you just change the parts and you see, have the same type of people. And so there's no hope for any actual reform to be accomplished through voting in and out individuals. Yeah, so I think I have a pretty much, um, you know, I, I think when people characterize me as an Anabaptist, I think they're right in terms of some of the neo-understandings of the way I think God works in the world. And so what this usually means for me is I'm a little more suspect, a little more, yeah, suspect, suspicious of government and uh, force and coercion and violence as the means by which... God can redeem the world. Although, let's let's try to understand that it's a little more nuanced than that. And always in the history, at least in some parts of the Anabaptist world, maybe playing off the Lutheran world that a lot of Anabaptists in, in that part of Germany were, were related to, there is preservatory functions of police force accountable to a citizenship uh, working together in cooperation that at least has a preservatory function. So, anyways... Aside from that, though, what I think we need to do, and I'm talking out of an Anabaptist sensitivity here, is I think we need to see God at work in the world and us becoming present to his work 
and becoming present to his presence in this work and making it visible and allowing him to bring his reconciliation and renewal to all these messes. And so instead of resorting immediately to politics, which results in frustration, uh, I want to propose, and this is gonna be oversimplistic, and I may take a little criticism from this, but at least I wanna get the conversation started. I wanna propose the practice of reconciliation as central to what we do as Christians in our homes, in our gatherings, on our, where we live, on our blocks, on our street corners. And as it moves from there, it moves into the very heart of the violence of our society, where we have police killing black lives, where we have this, this injustice, racial oppression, systemic, ills, we can be the cause of disrupting these systems nonviolently with the presence of Christ. That's what I want to propose. All right, so let's reverse engineer that a little bit. So we have this Facebook friend who feels despairing. Doesn't know way, could you do. put a little more energy in this? You're seeming kind of... Uh, no, I'm just listening. This is, drink this is good. I am drinking coffee. Okay. So uh, your Facebook friend feels like there's no hope. She doesn't know what to do. Why do anything? Then we have other people who are pounding the pavement, uh, putting, you know, making the, the, the rubber meet the road, the rubber of their, their shoes, the heels or of their shoes. Uh, putting shoes to the gospel. And, and, and marching and protesting in that fashion. Uh, so what, what do you say to these two? Because the practice of reconciliation seems very abstract. Do, should Christians protest the uh, corruption of the Chicago Police Department and should they go march and should they have prayer vigils out in front of the police station? Okay, yes or no? My answer to that is yes. And Why? It's a resounding yes, but it's got some very significant theology behind it. Okay. And I think if we do this out of the recognition that God is at work and its presence is in the midst and we must bring his unanxious presence to bring to light the injustices in the world through being present, and that means being at marches and prayer vigils, uh, uh, then God can work in these situations. So, so let me back non, up, though. The, let me back up. You said reconciliation is a very abstract thing. I want to reverse that whole, that whole phenomenon. I want to say reconciliation is the most concrete thing we do. It starts with Matthew 18, 15 through 20. If someone sins against you, go to them with that sin. If there's no agreement, bring a third person. And and it's and whenever two or three agree in my name, under his lordship, submitting one to another, laying down my own agenda and my own will to win, and say, I submit to you. You have done this and this against me, and I feel like this is either wrong or this is uh, misguided or whatever it might be. I submit to you, what would you do if you were me? And we open up the space to reconcile I'm sorry that I sinned against you. Please forgive me. I repent. We Can we come together on this in some way to further the kingdom of God? That's a concrete act of reconciliation. That needs to take place in our, in our lives, in our churches, in our marriages, in our families, in our street corners, in our schools. Every day we need to go to the person and we need to say, I feel like I have been wrong or I feel like you and I disagree on this. 
but I want to submit something to you that we might work this out under the Lordship of Christ. Now, um, so how does that scale from individuals to institutions, from a personal relationship to a social situation? So we're talking individuals in schools, in neighborhoods, but how does that then work its way up to change, transform, or challenge a systemic problem like yeah. the Chicago Police Department, uh, undisciplined police officers, violence against especially African-American yes. citizens? Yes. How does okay. a practice of reconciliation that's concrete between people work its way forward? So the, the practice that I just described out of Matthew 18 is actually first described by Jesus. And when he uses the brothers, the Adelphoi word, he's talking about the church, people who are Christians. But it spreads out in First and Second Corinthians. Paul says, don't go to the courts in your everyday matters, mm -hmm. but settle your settle your in everyday matters and with neighbors that are looking on, Paul talks about. What if you go to the courts? Don't go to the courts. You are going to judge the angels, he says. Can you not work out these conflicts, these issues together under the Lordship of Christ? And so this goes beyond just the close circle of, of the church. It goes into our everyday lives. And then I argue that this indeed is what we bring when, when Jesus talks about blessed are the peacemakers. This is exactly the same practice we bring into the world. We so, so Matthew 18 talks about Jesus, the presence of Christ. He says, I am there in the midst whenever you do this. And what is bound on earth shall be bound in heaven. What is loosed on earth shall be loosed in heaven. The very authority and reign of power of the kingdom and authority from heaven breaks in when we do this. I believe that happens in the, in the dotted circles of our everyday lives. By dotted circles, I mean, yeah, we're Christians, but we also do it with non-Christians mixed in. But also I have this thing called a half circle. This is all in my upcoming book, Faithful Presence, to be released next fall, 2016. But uh, the half circle is, is actually when we are offering the reconciliation of Christ and his presence and his power. And, and we are releasing and making space for him to work. It may or may not be accepted. But when we go into the street corners and the violence, the places of violence in our, in our neighborhoods, we have the ability to say, I believe that God want, God is reconciling this the world to himself and he wants to reconcile this situation. Can you ask for forgiveness from so-and-so? Can you uh, recognize your sin and ask forgiveness from so-and-so? And, and we start the, we, we break the chains of violence. You were wrong, you were wrong. No, you're wrong, no, you're wrong. I want to shoot you, I want to shoot you. We say, oh, hold it. Let's open up space. Can you recognize any sin in your life and ask forgiveness? Can you recognize any sin from this person's face encounter that you've been responsible for and ask forgiveness? And can you know that Jesus is Lord and that he's working? Now, I know this sounds preposterous. I know this sounds outrageous, but we must begin to open up these spaces of presence in the neighborhood for something different to take place. So, I believe when we go into a um, public demonstration done in peace, we are in essence doing that half circle. We are creating a face-to-face -face encounter. The victim, as well as people standing with the victim, become present 
to the oppressor. The march puts a real face, human face, on the injustice. And a moment of presence occurs and it becomes extremely uncomfortable for those in privilege to turn their faces away like all, like all in privilege do, like we all do. We, instead of just turning the other way and ignoring, a space is opened up to dislodge and disrupt the ongoing ideology and invite the presence of the oppressor to submit one to another. And therefore, repentance and reconciliation can begin. And by the way, I believe it can only become complete in Christ. So within the church, you know, when we've talked about repentance, reconciliation, mutual submission, quite often in this podcast, I think the question that maybe I'm asking and that maybe some of our listeners are asking right now is how does that practice of reconciliation work with non-reciprocal partners in situations where uh, confession and repentance are not being offered? How then does the church witness the peace of Christ still make offers or movements toward reconciliation what does that look like and i know there's nonviolence, there's peaceful protests there's uh awareness so when you're in a non-reciprocal situation where people don't want don't really want to practice reconciliation and they're engaged in perpetual violence what is the church's witness there my question would be of course it appears non-reciprocal and maybe uh, three out of four times the uh, seed that's planted falls on rough ground. But I think we might it be sounds surprised. like it's from the Bible. Yeah, I, but I think that we might be surprised how often the seeds that are planted shall bring forth fruit of reconciliation. We, you and I both have a friend in Syracuse, New York, who leads a church uh, in his neighborhood and he tells how he brings a cluster of pastors to meet with the local police. Many of the pastors are black pastors and for many years they've gathered to sit together at table sharing a meal and being present to one another and listening and brainstorming and praying together and being the basis of reconciliation. But the violence and the anger and the rage must be calmed down and a space of presence, unanxious presence, must be opened up to even say, will you listen to me as to what my grievance is? Do you see the pain that's been caused on my life? Talking about the victim now and the oppressed. Can you see what's going on here? Martin Luther King made this case in 1963 in the Birmingham jail for a face-to-face encounter. He said, I don't know if you remember this, but uh, Reverend King was uh, was accused of being a provocateur, someone from the outside coming in and causing uh, trouble and riots. And he said, quote, we had no alternative except that of preparing for direct action whereby we would present our bodies our physical presence, he didn't say that, I just added that, as a means of laying our case before the conscience of the local community first and then the national community. 
So this idea of non, and of course this is Martin Luther King's words, nonviolent with the goal of creating what he called, if I can just, I'm, I'm, I'm almost done here, constructive nonviolent tension. Nonviolent tension in the minds of the public versus a violent tension. Now think about that. Think what Martin Luther King was trying to say. He was trying to say we need to open up space for us to feel and understand and listen. Uh, to the injustice, the pain, the victimization, the oppression. And it's always got to be nonviolent, but it's still tense. I think that's what was going on the other day. And I think that's what led to some significant change in repentance by the mayor. Some people might not call what the mayor did with the uh, firing Fire of the police, police chief. chief. Uh, repentance he may have been politically motivated, but this is where it all starts, is present tension and it's out of this that we Christians can invite the world into reconciliation, not violence upon violence upon violence. Don't don't you think that um, you, you know? I heard I heard a famous um, uh, I can't remember. Um, th th there's these words that every time the U.S. bombs ISIS and kills an innocent Arab in the process, he create he or she or the U.S. creates a new feeding ground. A recruiting arena for more ISIS hate and recruits because violence upon violence breeds more violence upon more violence upon more violence and it's only the person and work of Jesus Christ and how we carry his presence into these situations where the violence can somehow be calmed down in his presence and the pain and hurt and suffering that the victims have been dis been experiencing at the hands of the oppressors can be seen for what it is. And the oppressors, one time out of four, let's say, or one time out of five, can see it and can stop the chain of violence and we can start reconciliation renewal in the world. That's the way I think it works. That's what I think we can do. And I think the first step is walking outside our front doors and being present to the hurt and pain of the victims of oppression in our neighborhoods and in the various places where mm -hmm. we shop, work, etc. And this only will be effective if the people who do it um, are well practiced in the art of reconciliation. I think a lot of times people storm out in their own individual self and lives on Facebook or in marches and they uh, are unpracticed in the art of reconciliation but they're going to demand reconciliation, demand accountability of other people um, and expect them to engage in a practice of self-examination, expect other people to engage in a practice of repentance and things like that. And then when that doesn't happen, you know, these individuals get frustrated. And it's because I believe that they aren't well-practiced in their own communities. And that's why the practice of reconciliation should start in the church, kind of like when Ezekiel or the prophets were saying judgments you know, we'll begin in the house of God and then move out from there, is can the church as a community be well-practiced in the art of reconciliation so that when it goes out into the world and engages with people who are not well-practiced, that they won't be resentful, that they won't be pushy or demanding or coercive. They'll be patient. They'll be patient. They won't be anxious. They won't be adding anxiety to the situation. They'll just be waiting, trusting, knowing, and having understood how God works in these situations.
Yeah, and of course, you know, let's just acknowledge it's easy for you and me to say this. We're a couple of white guys sitting in a room right now, and uh, uh, we have not suffered the, the, the victimization uh, and the pain and the hurt and the, and the oppression of white privilege on our lives. We've actually been the, the benefactors of it. And so this is easy to say on a microphone on a, on a Friday afternoon in Northern Baptist Seminary. But I just want to say, um, I just submit this to other people for their examination and their thinking that there is something that we can start practicing as part of our everyday lives and in our lives in the neighborhood. But we must be there long enough and present enough and understand enough to stand alongside those who are victims and to, uh, and if we are victims, to enter into this space that God promises he will change the world. When he says, what is uh, bound on earth shall be bound in heaven, he is talking about the breaking kingdom, the earth-shaking, tectonic, plate-moving work of the authority of the kingdom taking place. This is the kind of thing that can change our neighborhoods. So you're saying we really should engage in local citywide protests, that the churches should be involved in marches, but not if they are unpracticed in actual reconciliation. Not if they're... I think we need to get practiced. All of us do. I do, you do, everybody does. This is the means to do it. I'm proud of those guys uh, from Northern Seminary that got arrested in the way they got arrested. And, uh, you know, that's the first thing uh, we were asking is what happened. And, and we learned that... And, and, and I lived in Chicago. And... Uh, I don't live in Chicago proper right now, but I live in a town with a lot of racial strife. My own little uh, suburb uh, has racial strife. And, and so, uh, but all I'm saying is, um, I know how difficult, I do know somewhat how difficult those situations are. And it just, it takes a lot of practice and patience and understanding that the presence of Christ is here we are here to discern and give witness to his presence, that he is at work renewing and reconciling all things in Christ Jesus. So if you were to put a title on this podcast that we're doing, what exactly are we talking about? Um, put a bow on it. Yeah. Uh, the practice of real presence in the midst of the violence of the world. That's a terrible title. See, this is why I don't let you title them. But that's okay. The practice of real presence in the midst of Vi violence. The violence in the world. Man, it's getting so discouraging, all the violence we're hearing. You know, you, you let off with it. It's pretty, pretty discouraging. <clears throat> but, yeah, I mean, I've been really grieved for the type of world uh, that my children are growing up yes. in at, you know, 12 and 10, or no, 11. And, you know, not just, it, but like, what kind of American society are we in? Uh, it's just, it's very... We are carriers of the presence, the healing, unanxious presence of Christ into the world. We are in, Christ is the hope of the world, and we are the bearers of it. So could we say that the best way to protest a violent world is to practice reconciliation? Yes. The protest of reconciliation there. I think if we had, I don't know how many evangelicals, small e, there are in the United States, but let's just say there's uh, 20 million. 
maybe 30 million. Let's just say there's uh, 300,000 churches. I, hope, I think there's more. Let's just say everyone. There's less and less each week, I'm, I'm Let's afraid. Let's just say every one of those 300,000 churches practiced the presence of Christ and reconciling internally in their own bodies of Christ, but also externally on their, on their, in their neighborhoods, on their blocks. Mm -hmm. The impact in the United States of America would be stunning. And I think, I mean, I brought this up in regard to how evangelicals understand the military. And, but have we not outsourced martyrdom to other people, to police officers, to veterans? When will the church, who have already died in Christ and therefore should not fear death, when will they offer their bodies for reconciliation the way Christ did as a way toward peace? Are we doing that in our when cities? When will we get a volunteer army to offer their bodies for a volunteer instead of shooting other people? A volunteer army of soldiers of reconciliation. Yeah, well, we really didn't talk that much about that, although that's a good subject for next time. And by the way, our, our one of our patron saints, Stanley Powerwass, is the one who came up with that, I think, most effectively. So anyways, I just want to wish everybody, if uh, we don't hear from you, I want to wish everybody a season of peace and reconciliation in the, in the uh, coming of Amen. Well, thank you. We will see you all later signing off from, or we will talk to you all later signing off from Northern Seminary Griffith Conference Center room. Sorry. Have a great weekend and or day, whenever it is you might be listening to this podcast.